Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. No better to get better. That's what we're doing here today on Heel Squad and I'm Rain Wilson. I'm on a journey to heal and get better in all areas of life. And I wanna do it with you. Welcome to Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, where we improve and heal all parts of our lives, most importantly, our health. Heal Squad by Maria Menunos, your life improvement series starts now. Hello, hello, Heal Squad. Hope you're doing great out there in this crazy, amazing world. Today, we have a really special guest. I'm so excited to have Rain Wilson in studio. Of course, you know him from the hit show, The Office. But today, he's going to be talking to us about Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. It's his latest book. It's out today. And we have a really, really great conversation for you. We're going to start with our quote of the day. That actually comes from Rain. Perhaps the key to healing the world's chaos and pain lies on a spiritual path. Perhaps there are spiritual tools and religious concepts out there that can help us on a societal level, as well as in our own personal transformation. Perhaps a spiritual metamorphosis is required for us to not only thrive, but to even survive as we sit at the precipice of annihilation. That, my friends, is from Rain Wilson, Heal Squad. It's going to be a great day, not just because rain is here, but we're going to learn a lot of really great things today. Uh, if you haven't been with us before, welcome to the show. We are all about healing in every area of life, whether it's our health, uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whether it's our finances or relationships. We cover it all here and we do it every single day and we do it together and we have a lot of fun doing it. If you haven't left us a review, there's a link in the summary. Just click on that and let us know um, how the show is helping you. And don't forget Macy's.com backslash Heal Squad. We have so many amazing things curated there for you to kind of sift through, not having to sift through the whole website, but um, home, clothing, fashion, the whole thing. I've got all my picks there. Take a look and um, anything you buy helps support this show. So thank you for that. Rain Wilson 
is a three-time Emmy-nominated actor best known for his role as Dwight Schrute on The Office. He's a best-selling author and the co-founder of the media company Soul Pancake. He hosts the docu-series An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change, as well as the upcoming show Rain Wilson and the Geography of Bliss. The Heel Squad is excited to have Rain Wilson in studio today. We're going to have a great conversation about spirituality and death and dying and meditation and so much more. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Rain. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. (laughs) And that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but It's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of wonderful pistachios. You're gonna love them. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Okay, so... Soul boom. I had so much fun reading this, but then at the same time, I had to like put my like real brain on at times because it was so deep. And I was like, oh my God, can I do this? You had to put your brain on? Yeah, like my real brain, not my just like 
perusing through Instagram brain. Okay. I was like, I gotta, I gotta really like focus here because you know, when you're talking about consciousness, like people can't even, like gurus can't even explain consciousness. Right. And so to try to understand consciousness on the other side of it. And I just kept reading this and I'm like, I feel like he really wrote this. Yeah. But like, did you have someone help you? No. You really wrote this yourself. I really wrote it myself. So I say that because you know in our I'm a industry, smart guy. I know you're a smart guy. People don't have time to do these things generally. <laughs> so they have ghostwriters that they just, you know, yeah. have verbal diarrhea moments with and then it just becomes a book. But I'm reading it, I'm like, no, no, this is him. And it made it so much more fun mm. to read and just so much more mind blowing that we're going into such a deep topic, which you you joke about in the book. You're like, what? What's a guy like me, you know, writing a book like the guy this? who played Dwight on a sitcom, <laughs> writing a book about the meaning of life and the soul and God and consciousness and death and all of life's biggest topics. Yeah, it's um, well. Thank you for saying so. I tried to, I I tried to make it thought provoking and inspiring and definitely uh, something that you have to you know, dig into, but put at the, your brain on, put your brain on. <laughs> but at the same time, I tried to make it accessible and fun and throw in enough jokes along the way to kind of make it palatable. But yeah, you know, you talk about time and this was the perfect COVID book for me. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, I hate to say it, COVID arrived and it was just a devastating time and people were dying and it was awful and we were all scared and we were wiping down our bags of groceries with Clorox bleach and we didn't know what was going on and it was a terrible time. But I'm sorry to admit this, but there was part of me that I was a little bit gleeful because I was like, ooh, now finally I have the time, time to write the book that I have always wanted to write, a book about big spiritual ideas and life's biggest questions and kind of why we're here and what our purpose is. And I've got a little bit of time and, and it ended up being like three years of time that I put into writing this book. So it was, um, uh, I was really excited to have that, that opportunity to do it. And, um, yeah, so these are, these are, questions. These are topics that have been percolating around in me for decades and have always been part of my kind of greater spiritual search. And um, uh, I got to lay them all out on, on the page. Well, and, and we'll get into um, your dad, but it's like you also had to deal with the passing of your dad in this time mm -hmm. frame, yeah. which I think led you to the whole discussion of, of death, which you probably had already been exploring, mm -hmm. if, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, I remember when COVID first started, that's actually when I started this show, I was like, I need to be with people every day. Mm -hmm. I had been doing once a week, like, I need to be with people every day. I thought it was going to be two weeks. Here we are, still going every day. Oh my gosh, <laughs> amazing! And and I remember everybody talking about winning the weight, and you kind of won the weight because you wrote a book through this wow. whole time. Wow! Right? What does that mean, winning the weight? I haven't heard that. before. You don't remember? Everyone's I don't like, remember. Are you going to win the weight? Like, are you going to accomplish? Oh, like be productive or in something. This like time, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, and you were very productive. So so 
let's go into kind of where all this started because you're, you're, I know your dad was a big influence in, Mm -hmm. in you spiritually as well. I know he was an artist and all these things too that you took on, but talk a little bit about your early kind of spirituality. Yeah. So I, there's another book I wrote several years back called the bassoon King, which is kind of a, a funny memoir of my life and life stories and silly tales from the office and stuff like that. But one of the things I dug into in, in the bassoon King was, uh, my spiritual, my fitful spiritual journey, but basically it goes way, way back to, uh, growing up in a household that were members of the Baha'i faith, my dad and, and mom and my stepmom we're all members of the Baha'i faith. And um, one of the aspects people may not know, I'm not going to go into it here. You can Google it if you'd like. But uh, one of the aspects of the Baha'i faith is that we accept the universal spiritual teachings of all the world's faiths. Baha'is read the Bible regularly and the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and the writings of the Buddha. So I grew up in a household That's where... a lot. It's a lot, yeah. I, I mean, I barely, I haven't... Well, I shouldn't say I haven't. I maybe have read a page or two, but I haven't even read the Bible, and that's part of one religion. Forget right. doing all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're. I have I have read all of those works, but it's not like Baha'is are regularly like pouring through tomes and stuff like that. But we're inspired by and uplifted by and recognize the inherent divinity of all the world's faiths. So as a little kid growing up in this milieu, we would have Buddhist monks over to our house and we would have born again Christians, you know, knocking on the door on Sunday mornings and we'd invite them in and talk about Jesus and serve them pancakes and Um, there were books on my walls of, you know, on our bookshelves of like Egyptian mysticism. And so Baha'is are very inclusive, all of these spiritual ideas. So I grew up in a household where talking about the soul was a regular part of life. Every week we were talking about the soul. So So we were talking about life after death. We were talking about God. We were talking about why are we here? We were talking about the balance between science and faith and how those two forces are not necessarily in opposition, but they can work together in, in harmony. And, and we talked about social justice issues being kind of through a spiritual lens, not necessarily through a kind of political or legislative lens. Um, so that was part of the, you know, the, the, the spiritual swamp I grew up in. I love the spiritual swamp. I think there should be more of them. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, I count myself very lucky around that. And then I went to New York City and I wanted to be an actor and I was 20 years old and I was having sex with my girlfriend and I felt a little guilty about it because in the Baha'i faith, like in every religion, there are moral guidelines and moral laws. And, you know, I wanted to party and I wanted to be an actor in New York City and I didn't want any of those limitations on me. And so I also at the same time started seeing some hypocrisy in my parents and in the Baha'i faith itself. And, and I was like, screw this. I don't even know if I believe in God, screw all of it. And I threw the whole spiritual, uh, bathwater out the window. And I was just like, I'm just going to be an artist and just be an actor in New York city. So there was a very long period of time there, 10 or 12 years where I was agnostic at least. And and that's when that's a long time. It was a long time, especially, you know, went through my twenties and early thirties like that. And 
And then basically, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, and I talk about it a little bit in, in the other book, um, but basically, and I know, you know, part of what your show deals with is mental health. And mm -hmm. I realized that I was, when I look back on it now, I was in a mental health crisis. I was extremely unhappy. I uh, was racked with anxiety. I went into therapy. I was very depressed. I was on medication for a while. I was uh, really lost. Uh, I struggled with addiction issues. All of the stuff that in the 90s, just like everyone was kind of dealing with, and we didn't call it like mental health. This and was in that 10-year window. Yes, yeah. Interesting when you strayed from everything, right? And that's And that's when I was like, well, wait a second here. I'm working as an actor. I've got an awesome, beautiful girlfriend who's now my wife. Um, I'm this is I'm living beyond my wildest dreams. I'm I'm making it as an artist in New York City, but I'm so unhappy. And what the hell is going on with that? So I, I thought, well, I wonder if it has to do with kind of jettisoning my faith, and not only my faith specifically, but anything and everything having to do with God and religion and spirituality and the soul. And so that's when I started a, 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 a really deeply personal spiritual search, uh, for meaning and truth. Um, so that was, that's part of the Genesis of soul boom started way, way back then. I want to ask about the Baha'i faith because, um, I love the idea of the inclusivity because when you look at religions, they're all very similar in, in a lot of ways, mm. right? And, and so it makes a lot of sense to be inclusive of all of them. Mm -hmm. One of the chapters in, in Soul Boom, I talk about the universality of religion. And Western society, by and large, has jettisoned and is in the process of jettisoning everything to do with religion. And... And a lot of, for a lot of good reasons, sometimes their religion has perpetrated a lot of evil on the planet and it's very, it can be very judgmental and very hypocritical and it can be very political. And, um, so it's complicated, but I do get into some of those universalities of the world's faiths. And when you, when you boil religions, all religions down to their essential truths, you find that there are these building blocks of faith. And these are spiritual tools that I believe, Maria, that we can use personally and that we can use to transform society. And that's that's the thesis of the book. There are spiritual tools that have been around for thousands of years in all of these faith traditions and also the faith traditions, the incredibly beautiful faith traditions of, uh, of Native Americans and indigenous peoples around the world, not just kind of the ones that are found in the Bible. Um, but, you know, universal love, uh, transcendence, uh, the beauty of art, uh, service to others. Um, these Forgiveness, are, all of it. Yeah, all of those things are in every faith, even something as divergent as Buddhism and, say, Islam, which at the surface seem very different. But the building blocks of what they're about are the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't looked into the Baha'i faith very much. I know we have a common friend in Justin Baldoni, yeah. and he was telling me about it last time he was here, uh, which, by the way, I didn't know that you produced Last Days Here. 
Yeah. That was one of my favorite pieces I've ever seen on TV. Um, It was incredible. And that's how I met Justin. I was interviewing him for that, which is so funny. Yeah. My last days was um, started as a YouTube show and then went to the CW. But it was, again, we talk about death as a topic. It was, uh, what can we learn about life from those in their last days on the planet? Mm -hmm. And it's not a, it can be sad. It can be challenging, but it's not a depressing show. It's an uplifting and inspiring show Mm -hmm. that just reminds us of the preciousness of life. And that's why I have a whole chapter on death. The chapter is called death and how to live it because the, the death provides a framework for us to be able to look at our lives one day at a time and realize what a miracle we're in right now, just having this conversation mm-hmm. uh, in this beautiful room and um, how precious it is and how fleeting it is. And I know that's something you've dealt with and talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you had brought up my father's passing. He, he died about four or five months into COVID um, of heart disease and, um, it was really uh, devastating and uh, and transformative. And it got me thinking, it kind of raised the stakes and got me thinking a lot deeper about those topics as well. Yeah, I wonder what did change for you after your dad passed? Um, it's just, and I have known some other people. I also lost two other dear friends to cancer during the mm-hmm. COVID years. Um, well, that was one of the things that I remember you saying, I think it was your best friend was dying of cancer and he said, it's just all static. Yeah. And that just, I mean, I had to take a pause after that one because it's true, but how do we hold on to that when we don't have it, when our life isn't ending, how do we get to see that it's static and make that differentiation and be able to live according to that? That's the tough part. Well, this gets a little dark. Let me Let's just go. say, <laughs> dear viewers, dear listeners, <laughs> Western culture, especially in America, we don't like to talk about death. Mm-hmm. We don't like to think about it. It's like, oh, no, no, don't go there. Uh, 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 can't think about that. We're obsessed culturally with sex. So everything is about sexual attractiveness and, and our gender and who we're attracted to and it's sex in magazines and it's sex on Instagram and it's sexual liberation and we're just sex obsessed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Victorians in England were obsessed with death. They would have death parties. Their children would die and they would leave mm-hmm. their bodies in the living room. Yeah. They would do portraits with dead relatives and hang them on the walls. They You would talked s- about Dia, Dia de los Muertos as well in yeah. here as well. So the... What I would suggest around that is, and so my friend David was dying of cancer and I would go every week and I would walk with him on the beach down in Malibu and we would have long conversations. And and he kept saying like, since he had his diagnosis of stage four stomach cancer, he was like, I just see it so clearly. Like so much of life is just static. You've got to cut through the static and like live in reality, live in the heart, live in connection. Um, and I've lived all my life in this static and what is the static? You know, it's, it's emails and it's texts and it's bills to do. Yeah. It's to do lists and bills to pay and, you know, in kids that need shuttling to soccer practice and, you know, and all these things, they're important, but they're not the most important. And throughout history, humanity has 
reflected upon its mortality in order to gain this perspective. And I, and I give a long list there from Native Americans saying today is a good day to die uh, to the Stoics of ancient Rome saying memento more. So when you were in ancient Rome, when you were uh, a Caesar or a general and you were walking through the crowds and they were going, yay, hail Caesar, blah, 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 there would be someone behind you with a little, uh, what is that? Trumpet little, thing? A little trumpety cone in your ear and they would be saying, memento mori, memento mori, over and over again, which means remember, you are going to die. Remember, you are mortal. Wow. So as you're getting the adulation, you're being constantly reminded that you're going to die, that, that death is around the corner. There's There are Tibetan uh, Buddhist meditations on dying. And I say this not to depress people and to, and to bring them down and stuff like that, but again, that in our daily practice of meditation, it's living in the gratitude for being alive. So I, I, would, I would say that the opposite of reflecting on death is gratitude. And gratitude is an incredible superpower, as we know, to fostering happiness and well-being and 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 heal heal squatting and that every day is a, is a precious precious miracle and but it's only a little bit about pondering death and and considering death that that we can put that into perspective and i want to say Ooh, this, and this is really important that was really important actually too that we can only put it in a perspective if we actually consider death mm. Because you wouldn't think about it in that way. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. That was a gut punch when my father died. He was 79. He so lived, young still. He lived a great life. 79 is that in-between stage of kind of like, well, God, I wish he would have had another 10 or 15 years. But at least he made it that far. And then my other friends died in, the, in their 50s of cancer and... That was also a real gut check. Um, but one thing that's really important here in, in when I what I talk about in Soul Boom is the fact that we are spiritual beings. Um, I don't mean that in any kind of ooey-gooey way. We are souls. We're inhabiting bodies for 90-some years, hopefully. Uh, and we're having this human experience in a body, but we're spiritual beings. We're souls. That is our reality. Mm -hmm. Death is not when a baby is born. Oh, I loved this when I read this. Go ahead. <laughs> it's so good. It doesn't die. It might be terrified. It's like, what the hell is coming next? I'm coming out this birth canal and there's these bright lights and noises. I was just thinking the other day about how babies have fully developed eyes in the womb, mm -hmm. fully developed. The eye can, think of the miracle of the eye, the rods and the cones and the, you know, how it all works and refracts in and lenses and color and, but it's not using those eyes at all. But then it emerges into this physical realm, this three-dimensional world from its womb world. And there's this whole new kind of wonderful series of miracles that awaits that baby, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to learn to walk and to ride a bike and they're going to fall in love and they're going to go to prom and they're going to hit a golf ball and they're going to see the Grand Canyon at sunset. And there's, um, and those miracles await all of us after we're done on this physical plane. And 
that's just true. And that's true. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, this is one, this is our physical plane and our reality, our consciousness, our, our soul, our heart, um, will move on to really ever increasingly glorious states of being. So death isn't the end and it's not the lights out and that's it. There, there, there can also be an embrace of the, of the wonder of what awaits us on our journey. So with your dad, what did you take away at the end? Well, and how have you changed your life? I tell, you have? I tell a very funny story in there where in the Baha'i faith, there's a ceremony of bathing the body like there is in Judaism and many other religious traditions. You wash the body, you wrap it in a shroud, you put a certain ring on in preparation for burial. And we were at this funeral I'm home. I'm laughing and you guys are going to find out why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we were at a, a funeral home in Wenatchee, Washington. And God bless them. They, they didn't have a bowl to use to hold the water to wash my father's body. So it was me and my stepmom, Carla, who I love very much. And we're very close. And, and they were like, uh, I think I've got a teapot back here. And they're rooting around through a kitchen in a, in a funeral home. And I'm like, I've got a takeout bowl, styrofoam bowl. I'm like, oh God, no. no. A takeout bowl. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to run out. I'm going to buy a bowl. They're like, well, hurry up because the funeral's in an hour. I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm like taking my dad's truck and I drive down. I find a Target. And we're in the middle of a heat wave. I'm sweating through my suit. Sweat is pouring down. I've got my COVID mask on. I'm looking. I'm like, do you have glass bowls? And I'm running through this Target that's the size of LAX. <laughs> Meanwhile, people are like, what? <laughs> Who is what? That? Is, is that? that? <laughs> <laughs> no. And I buy these glass bowls and uh, these and take a back and then we are, we're able to do the ceremony. But I just thought about how how my dad would be laughing from above, um, watching his son, the the big TV star, you know, sweating, fretting through Target, yeah, trying to find glass bowls. Um, That's why, by the way, this is why the book is so great because you can laugh through mm -hmm. it. You know, there are so many funny moments. Um, even just like the little footnotes just to kind of keep you laughing throughout as you're having these deep conversations. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you know, when it boils down to it, Maria, when, and maybe you, or maybe some of the listeners have experienced this, like when I saw my father's body on the, on the table and we prepared him for burial, I was like, oh, there's that beautiful body that I've known for my 50 six years. Um, there's his little eyebrow hair that sticks out and there's his, you know, the, the little tuft of hair here and the mole here. And, and I was like, that's not my father. You know, that's not him. That it is so clear when you see a body that that is just the vessel. That's the vessel that carried the pure brilliant spirit of my dad, uh, his humor and his light and his, and his flaws and his personality and his humor and, um, his artistic sensibility. And it just was made so abundantly clear there. So 
what did I take away? Well, something that I've always known was made abundantly clear that we are spiritual beings having a human experience riding around in these in these flesh tuxedos, as I call them. Hmm. And uh, have you ever seen a, a loved one? Have you ever seen a body or had a similar experience? You know, I, I have, um, but I was so young. My cousin had been killed in a car crash at 18, and I was 15 at the time. And, I mean, I was just rocked like everybody would be mm-hmm. and was. Um, y- you know, looking back, yes, I could, I could probably have that understanding. Um, but it was so long ago now. With my mom... Uh, you know, we were there as she passed and I mean, I was having moments with her even just the night before, Mm. which was pretty unbelievable that somebody with a brain tumor who should be completely lights out at this point, my dad and I were going through memories and just joking and she's opening her one eye. And she had been, you know, pretty out for a while and she was opening her eye and I'm like, is she mad? I'm telling her secret stories about being drunk with me <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or is she just dying to laugh with us, you know? But when she passed, um, you know, I was, you know, hugging her in bed and then I didn't see her again because she didn't look like herself after. So my husband was like, we got to close this casket. He's like, you guys, you know, the church we were doing the ceremony in was so small, we would be able to reach out and touch her. Mm. And he's like, it's not your mom anymore. So he had that experience. Mm. He's like, it's not your mom anymore. You, I don't want you to have this memory. And so we closed the casket. I'm so grateful because now the memory that I have, I have this beautiful picture of her just lit up, happy with her chef's hat on. And, uh, in my kitchen and every day I say hi to her and I see her with that beautiful smile and it feels good Mm. rather than having, you know, the Mm. opposite. Yeah. And that's, you know, for me too, like you said, saying hi, and, and I'm getting a little choked up here because I. I'm also able to just have that conversation with Mm -hmm. my father, you know, and with his, and his spirit. And I feel his presence and guidance and love and light with me and with my family. And, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's real. I think that's true. You know, I, I don't, I don't think, I know that that's true. And I know that the next world is as close to us here, just to go back to that womb analogy as, you know, as a baby in the womb is close to this three dimensional world, the the whatever the next plane is 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 that close to us all here and we can we can have those connections with those who have passed yeah i talked to her i don't know if you talked yeah, to her. I talk do you to hear dad. him back i don't i don't hear words but i get impressions i absolutely mm. get impressions i know my my teenage son was going through a really hard time and i really was kind of connecting with my dad. Commun- I don't want to say praying to my dad because he's not God, but I was communing and asking for his help and his guidance. And I and I just felt this kind of like reassurance of kind of like, I got this, mm. you know? And and sure enough, the, 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 the really difficult times, you know, passed and 
And I, I felt my dad's hand in that, you know, uh, and, and help and some guidance along the way. Yeah. I feel like they're there with us. You know, I, your dad passed a couple months before my mom. And so we'll have her two year in May. Mm. And, and like I said, like at first it was kind of so hard. Um, but like every day I go and I put my hand on her heart on the picture and mm. I say, hi. And I hear her saying hi back. And sometimes I'll talk to her when I'm driving the car. I'll ask her for guidance as well mm. on things. Like GPS guidance? <laughs> no, like, I do ask her for parking spots. How do I get spots. to Sherman Oaks again? This does work. Okay. You're like, mom, give me a parking spot. Mom, can you help me out? I really need a parking spot. I've got 10 minutes to go into Trader Joe's. <laughs> and... It works. She does. <laughs> Unless I just have really great parking karma that I didn't realize before. I'm like, mom, can you please help me out? And anybody who's in the car with me laughs. I'm like, it always works. Yeah. Oh, but, that's great. Um, but I, I think holding on to the lessons, like I was saying, is is kind of the hardest part. Um it, you know, is really realizing what's important and holding that together in a society that isn't really paying attention to that in general. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, why I love reading books like this. This is why I love doing this show. This is why I love having conversations like this because it keeps it alive more often than maybe it would be in the, in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's hard. Yeah. You know, you grew up with those conversations every day. What mm-hmm. a blessing Mm-hmm. To be able to have those, you know, those deep conversations and, and to be thinking about all of those things um, and and being aware of all of it. But, you know, for the most part, everybody's like, where, my, where am I going? What's my schedule? How many likes did I get on my Instagram post? You know, am I going to be able to feed my kids today? And, right. and so on and so forth. They don't have time to to really think about these things. I wonder, you've gone through your, your friends and your dad um, passing, have you had any health crises that you've had to go through that, you know, made you think differently about life and health? I've been very lucky. Um, I'm in really good health. Uh, yay. Yay. Fucking A. So celebrate that. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it's interesting being in my mid fifties, like there's definitely little things. It's like, oh, the cholesterol's creeping up. I got to take the little pills mm-hmm. and I had to get the colonoscopy and get things checked out. And, you know, there's there's little health things that are kind of like rearing their ugly heads. So mm-hmm. um, you definitely start, that starts to shift too. You wouldn't get that because you're 28. So, but... <laughs> <laughs> the, you wouldn't you wouldn't relate, but uh, oh, I would not relate at all. Yeah, yeah. forty four and a lot of health crises, but um, which is why I'm doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Heal squad, but we get back up, right? Every time. As a first time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) 
<laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Well, I think going to again to these these big questions and I do a you know, I have a chapter in there about God, which I think is a very important topic that people don't want to talk about. Uh, I, I, the chapter is called The Notorious G.O.D. And uh, hmm. I wanted to do a documentary about God. In fact, we have the same agent, Andrew Lear. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. He's, oh, he's so who cool. connected us. He, uh, what a great guy, by the way. I love Andrew. No, but like he's not like an agent. He's not at all. It's yeah. very strange. He actually like really is a nice person he's, he's, by the way not saying that agents are bad people but you know what i'm saying I'll say it. it's rare I'll to find it. somebody who just genuinely <laughs> is such a champion of everybody and yeah. is so caring okay. yeah they're out there and yeah. uh, he's wonderful but i took out a, a documentary series about god called the notorious god and i was kind of like let's just no one ever talks about god let's just explore what god is like if we were going to look through the lens of science and physics, you know, how would they see a creative force in the universe? And let's look through the religions and re and obviously we know God is not an old white man with a beard on a cloud scowling down on us, right? Okay, we know that. <laughs> so what what could God be? And it got the show got rejected everywhere I pitched it in Hollywood. And well, so did my last days, right? Yes, yes. And it got and hundreds of millions of people watched it like me. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it got rejected because it was deemed too controversial. God. God. Yeah. So I really wanted, this is a topic I wanted to dive into. I want to, you know, I've got a little, I've got an inner Oprah kind of, I want to like I love it. get into this. Just do the podcast. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. And um, so what's the point of all this? I think the... the you know, I have another chapter on sacredness and how we've lost kind of a concept of what is sacred and what is holy in the modern world um, that we might benefit from in our in our personal lives to have a sacred space. Maybe this is a sacred space to mm -hmm. you because you get to have these really beautiful healing conversations and you have tens, hundreds of thousands of followers that, you know, really are inspired by the conversations here that this is a sacred space, but thinking of it as a sacred space and maybe a connection to nature being sacred. So th the reason I get into these big questions in soul boom is a lot of times people view spirituality as something that will bring me internal serenity. So I'll do prayer or meditation because it makes me feel better. It calms my anxiety. I'll go to this yoga class or I'll read this inspiring quote or this Eckhart Tolle book or something like that. And that's important and it's crucial and it's beautiful and it absolutely has to happen. But culturally, we've then stopped to take the next step, which is can these same spiritual tools that we use for our own personal serenity, for lack of a better word, can we spread those? Can we spread them in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and then in our county, and then our town, and 
in our state and in our country? Can we use these tools to relieve the suffering of others? Because if, if spiritual tools are to increase compassion and to reduce our own suffering, can we increase compassion so much that we can't abide other people's suffering? And this is a key component of Buddhism that is often missed in the Western, uh, in the Western definition of Buddhist ideals, which is, again, to we release ourselves from suffering and then we work to relieve others of suffering. So the soul boom, the spiritual revolution that I'm talking about in the book is about taking that next step collectively to try and reduce suffering and to create bonds of deep love and fellowship and community at the grassroots where we can we can start to transform society. Society does not need to be filled with hate, contention, greed, envy, lust, aggression, some of the worst components of what it is to be a human being. We can base social structures on spiritual ideals, but first we have to look at consciousness, death, God, the sacred and the holy. We have to examine these things um, to start to think about how we would possibly put them into practice. I love that. I think we need it more than ever, which is why the timing of this book is so great, because I think that, you know, we were all faced with mortality and COVID in a way that was so, mm. so intense. Um, and then I think we've kind of lost our way. Mm. We were already lost, but I think we've really, really lost yeah. our way now. Um, and I don't have to go into the list of why we know what we went through as a collective. Yeah. Um, but we need to help each other out of that now. Yeah. And, and the focus is so much on me, me, me and my, my healing and my growth and my everything, which is great because, you know, it's like you can't love others unless you love yourself. You have to do that work first. You got to do the work first, but there has to be an intention behind, okay, I need to heal so then I can help spread it, that's, you know? That's very well said. It's like you wrote the book. That's perfect. <laughs> I didn't write the book. I just read the book. I, no, I say there's like, it's like a yin and a yang. Like we we work on ourselves. We make ourselves more grounded, more serene, more loving so that we can be more loving to others and do the work in the communities and and work for you know, whether it's social justice or relieving poverty or feeding people or increasing education or healthcare or uh, working with the disenfranchised. Um, and then that work feeds us. When you do that work, it feeds us. Mm -hmm. And then we grow internally even more and we get that that charge and then we're able to take that out. So it's, there's there's a dance between those two spiritual forces. What do you do every day to kind of stay spiritually grounded? And, and by the way, I love what you said about spirituality in the beginning too, about how everybody has a different meaning, right? Yeah. Someone's spirituality is the ayahuasca journey. Someone's spirituality is church. You know, everyone yeah. has a different definition. So I also would love to know your definition, but for you, but what do you do every day to stay in that space? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, so spirituality is a tricky word and because to some people it can be a seance and like ghosts, right? And uh, 
people have different definitions of what of what that is. So for me, spirituality is that uh, universal, eternal, soul and heart centered aspect of each one of us that will continue on an infinite and eternal journey beyond this physical plane. So these the spiritual part of ourselves are best defined by those incredible divine virtues that I, I see as reflections of the divine, reflections of God. Kindness, love, humility, honesty, um, compassion, joy, uh, those aspects of ourselves that we cultivate and we nurture, um, those are what we take with us. So that is what it is to be spiritual. So what do I do on a daily basis? Well, I'm, um, I have a daily meditation practice. It's really very simple. On the best days when I have the time, I didn't do it this morning, but mm. I'll do a little exercise to get on my body, which I need to do because I have an anxiety disorder. So I live with a generalized anxiety disorder, diagnosed. I've been on and off meds for it. It's something I have to treat on a daily basis. It's similar to like if someone has um, is a diabetic, mm -hmm. like you have to monitor the diabetes. You have to take your blood sample and check it and watch what you eat and you know what I mean? Yep. And you can live with it. You can live a full, rich, healthy life with diabetes, but you have to monitor it. And that's how it works with me and with uh, anxiety. On the best day, I get some exercise in, I jog up and down my driveway and then lift a few weights and stuff like that. On the best days when I have the time, I do cold immersion therapy, which is very powerful mm. and healing for me. Uh, it sucks and every <laughs> part of my body's like, oh no, it's horrible. But when I allow myself even just three or four minutes just to be emerged, emerged in either my pool if it's cold enough or in this cold immersion tub that I have. And then I do a, a prayer and meditation practice, which is really pretty simple. You know, I talk in the book about how prayer and meditation are also like a yin and a yang. They're a dance. So prayer is beseeching the universe and connecting with the universe. And meditation is listening to the universe. And I think both of those components are really important. But when I can bring myself to kind of a mental stillness and serenity and surrender uh, in the morning, even it's just 15 or 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be some epic thing three times a day for 40 minutes with a mantra oh and blah, God. blah, blah. I do, uh, many people use apps and they're great. I don't. But there's a lot of great apps, and even just on YouTube, you can find great meditations. And I go out to a little bench, which I've kind of created as a sacred space for myself, talking about bringing the sacred into our into our homes and into our lives. That's a sacred place because it's where I commune. It's where I commune with nature. It's where I commune with the divine. It's where I talk to my dad. Mm. Um, and then that, I, I liken it to like rebooting your computer, like your computer or your phone is on the fritz and the apps aren't working and, and, and you just reboot it and it goes, Moong! and then you, and then all of a sudden things kind of have a clarity and, and focus. And that's, that's how it works for me. There's other aspects, but that's a kind of a morning routine, a more, a morning practice, uh, is super important for me. Do you just go into black space when you're meditating? No, you know, I, 
I really start, I focus on my breath and I really focus on just opening my heart. And after I say a few prayers and I do a, a few Baha'i prayers and Baha'i meditation practice, it's just about finding stillness. You know, when I, when I lead meditations, which I do sometimes, one image that I use that I find really, people find really helpful and I find helpful myself is like picture listening at home. You can do this at home. Close your eyes right now. And you can picture in your mind that your mind is a pool of water in a dark cave. And picture a pebble being thrown into the pool of water, which is your mind. And then the ripples ripple out from the dark pool and then it becomes very still and very calm in this dark cave of the mind. And then just be with that image and that sensation. And that's the space. That's the kind of peace oh that, that one so looks for. And that's just, and that I was. almost fell over like at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that's the 22 second version. You can do a much longer version, but. I like that. That's a really good technique. But that's just an image that allows you to kind of go, oh, that's the kind of peace and stillness I'm looking for. Because mm. we, we work in, in images more than words necessarily. So that's, that's what I, that's what I go for. I'm not always able to achieve it. And sometimes I'm only able to achieve it for a minute or two. And that's mm -hmm. fine. You need to record that and like right? have it on Audible or, you know, for people to buy. Yeah. Because your voice is so good. You're oh, so thanks. like literally instantly I was there visualizing it and I kept feeling my head wanting to bob that way to the right. I actually instantly. in that meditation, I actually hypnotized you. Yes. And now you are a chicken. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> oh my god i don't even know what a chicken does <laughs> Wait, what is the chicken i'm like in? they don't yeah. quack shit what did the chickens do <laughs> um no it was really great i think um you know meditation is so challenging for people i always ask them what they do because something might might click for somebody else when you talk about opening your heart how do you open your heart um again i do it with visuals um, so part of it for me is how it's a little hard with this microphone, but is how I sit. So, mm -hmm. you know, my butt and my sits bones are very, uh, planted okay. and my spine is long and my feet are flat on the floor. And my hands are face up and I, I find that really important. And I find that that makes me feel like I'm surrendering when I do that way. It is, it is a, it is a natural surrendering posture and then. I let my chest uh, between the space between my shoulders just be open. And it's really important to let that space between like your ears and your shoulders be really long and open and let your belly be very soft and allow, cause sometimes we hold our bellies mm -hmm. in a lot, right? Cause um, especially us chubby, me chubby folks like me, but you let your, your belly be soft and let the breath move in and out. And then really, again, just like that, that pool uh, image in the head, I really, in terms of opening the heart, I, this might sound corny, but I, I view like the heart in my chest as almost like a satellite dish. 
that's connecting with the divine realm, with the creative impulse, with the things that are of light and of love. Some people might, for that, for someone it might be God, for some people it might be Jesus, for some people it might be, you know, the Buddha or Muhammad or a teacher or someone who's passed or whatever. But when I'm able to, and I do this outside, like to really have my, the satellite dish of my heart pointing to the divine kingdom. And that allows a kind of a channel where it's me there and, and then I'm allowed to, to listen as well. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I studied Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations. Do you know him? Mm-mm. I'm going to highly recommend him to you. Okay, great. Because my anxiety might not have been as bad as yours, but it was undiagnosed, pretty bad anxiety. Gone in three days. Hasn't come back. It's wow. been a year and a half at least. Um, and when he, he talks about getting brain and heart coherence and, and how important that is. And whenever he would say, open your heart, I'm like, I don't know how to open my heart. Mm. What am I doing? I don't know how to do this. So I would cheat by thinking of my dog's faces. I would think <laughs> of my mom's face. It did start with the dogs, I have to say. Sure. Start with the dogs, like my shepherd Maximus is my everything. And I would see him and I would just be so happy. And I would just envision my heart just opening and exploding with just love. And then I would go through the other ones. And then I'd go to my mom and my dad. I'd skip over my husband. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'd go through everybody. And and then I would think of flowers that make me happy and anything that made me happy to open up my heart. And I think everyone's going to have different visuals. But sure. um, I always love hearing how everybody else does it, but I highly recommend Dr. Joe. Okay. Is, is there a website or on and you're YouTube? you're going or? to love him. Oh, great. Because he's also very scientific. Mm. So it's not like woo-woo, just believe and follow my thing. This is somebody who's dedicated his life to quantum physics and the studying of the brain and, and neuroscience. And, wow. Um, he's changing your thoughts, helping you control your thoughts and your beliefs to change your reality. Yeah, mm. And uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. And people are healing themselves of all kinds of things that are technically unhealable. Oh, wow. Because we have so much power that we don't use. And, uh, and I think it would be really, really interesting to see if it helps you with your anxiety. Oh, that's great. What's the last name again? Dispenza. Dispenza. We'll hook you okay. up with everything. Okay. Don't worry. Um, Does he work at the dispensary? <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's been a powerful journey. I've done so many different meditations. Like I've studied TM. Mm-hmm. Um, that was challenging. When I was at the Institute, poof, amazing, because you're almost cheating with other people's energy. Mm. Um and then when you're trying to do it at home, it wasn't really clear. Well, meditation for me. has been scientifically found to be far more effective when you do it with other people. Yeah. So if you're even if you're able to just get a group of friends and just sit in stillness for fifteen or twenty minutes. What a great idea, actually. I never thought about getting friends to do it together. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's yoga classes are powerful and for that, you know, there's something, you know, if if there was one lesson that we learned through COVID is that we need other people and we're Boy. social and we need to connect and we're more disconnected than we've ever been. And uh, praying together, meditating together, yoga, whatever it is, you can do it on a nature walk. It doesn't have to be anything formal. That can be inc- incredibly 
powerful and it is the the power of the act is amplified being with other people yeah when i went to the meditation events that he has i had really insane events mm. that i got i mean i was in amphibian worlds i was i was in other countries and other timelines crazy stuff was happening but mm. I was with collective, you know, group of maybe 3,000 people and some of them advanced meditators. So I was like, wow, I, I almost get cheap because I'm I'm feeling their energy. Mm. And, you know, you play with a good tennis player, you're going to play better. Um, I think it's the same with meditation. But I never thought about doing a little group. I like that. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. Interesting. Do you have any other gems? <laughs> I got nothing. I'm gemmed out. You're gemmed out. Um, Well, friends, the book is called Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution. And Rain, I I loved it. I think everything that you're sharing in this, we need desperately right now. And... uh, and I encourage everybody to to get this and and start their own spiritual revolution, their own meditation group, um, and so on and so forth. But I really love helping people with death because, um, and I think that this really does help with that. Mm. Um, you know, like you said, we don't talk about it enough. And having gone through it just recently, it's been something that we've tried to talk about more and more here on the show to help people get through mm. their challenging time because. You know, it's very lonely, you know, when you're going Mm. through it. You're around so many people, but they're not going through the same thing you're going through, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. passing through to be there for you. Um, And so, um, you know, I've had so many people come up to me, you know, in random places saying that those episodes help them so much. So I think the Notorious G.O.D. will be very helpful as well. (laughs) I think it should be a podcast. Uh, that could be. That could be. I because um, then you can prove the concept. Podcasts are now the way they're proving concepts. That's right. So you do the podcast. Listen, we'll just change the sign. You can do it here. We'll put the notorious okay. God. Swap out the uh, and the then lettering. you do uh, a set amount of episodes, and then after that, you can take it out. What if It'll I just interviewed different. God? What do you want to know? Just. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hey. you know, hey, I, now. I just I do want to. Uh, I do want to leave you and the listeners with one other thing. You know, at the end of the book, I talk about the the 10 spiritual pillars for a spiritual revolution. Or maybe it's eight. I forget how many. Pillars for a spiritual revolution. And I think I one that. thing that's really important to just leave people with is the idea of hope. We're in a hopeless times. Uh, we've got climate change issues, you know, where there's war in Europe, uh, China is becoming more militarized, uh, partisan politics is more kind of vengeful and people at each other's throats and both sides aren't listening to each other, they're only shouting at each other and there's so much more distrust and more conspiracies and and it's been such a dark time, but we have to cultivate hope we have to keep hope alive in ourselves and we have to spread hope and that's a really the most important part of a spiritual revolution is it's it might sound hippy dippy and airy fairy but um everything conspires in the world to leave us hopeless like oh it's all gone to shit and it's getting worse um i'll just kind of take care of me and mine and but we have to spread hope. We have to keep it alive. It is a very precious resource. 
it's a very um it's a resource that we have to to cultivate and nurture in our in our friends and families and and in and in strangers mm-hmm. not just the people we're comfortable with it's something we we can spread to children there we humanity will will get through this and we will mature and we will rise and we will come together with um with ever increasing love and compassion and build a society around those components but we have to start with hope and fostering it in ourselves and spreading it to others beautiful message much needed um i stopped watching the news years ago and you know my dad's been in town so of course the news is on and i'm like oh my gosh this is so hard to watch it's so hard to not be overwhelmed by the state of affairs whether it's shootings every day like you said china and you know world war three tweets on greek easter or regular easter i call it greek easter and regular easter regular easter um it's it's so hard i know even for us we're like where do you go we can't escape there's nowhere to escape Mm. so we have to fix it Mm -hmm. we have to all work together to make this better and i do think that things kind of they all happen for a reason you know, these, these crazy things will happen, you know, for us to better ourselves, to mm. wake up, to, um, you know, sometimes things have to get destroyed to, to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a really beautiful message that I think we all need to hold on tight to and probably just isolate that clip and just keep playing it at the end of every episode <laughs> so that we can remember that hope is important and that we will be okay. Exactly. I think it's really hard for people to remember that we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard for me sometimes. And for me. And for me. He's awesome. He's so great. He's just like such a down to earth, like mm-hmm. very chill. It's, I kind of figured that, but it's so wild when you watch someone like I am a huge Office fan. So then like just getting him, like getting to see him in here and like his whole take on everything. I'm like, he's just really cool. Just he's a really, good human. Just a good guy. Yeah. And I really want to look into the Baha'i faith a little bit more. I think it's really fascinating to me. And I love, you know, the idea that respecting all religions is important mm. and uh, and that every religion has something to appreciate. I think that's really cool. And I loved his meditation. His voice is so good. It really, like, instantly I was there and my head wanted to, like, cock to the right <laughs> And just, I was kind of holding it together because I was like, I think I'm going to fall over. But it was so funny because he was even joking about it. He was like, that was like 22 seconds, but it was so powerful. Yeah. And his voice and he gets right in there. I don't know. I think that like you even said, clip that out or clip the end part out. This was just such a cool, like not too heavy, but that's what I'm, I'm loving this new studio. I feel like there's such a flow of these conversations that they're like, we're learning so much, but it's not, I don't feel like I'm getting smacked in the face by it. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that that was really just a beautiful conversation. Yeah. It was very calm. Yeah. You know, when I talk about how I feel when I'm sitting across somebody, I always kind of just, I make a note. How do I feel right now with Mm. this person? Am I having to be somebody different? Am I having to act different? Am I saying stupid shit? How do I feel inside my body? And I just felt so calm with him. Like just a regular guy. So calm. Mm-hmm. So friends, the book is called Soul Boom. You should get it. It's really, really profound. And if you're not having these conversations around your dinner table, 
like we weren't, uh, this book will help you have that conversation at least, uh, through him, because I know our conversations weren't centered around that. Um, how cool to grow up like that, to be talking about life and what life is about, because when you're aware of that, you make decisions differently, you act differently. So we can have that here as a community in the Hill Squad. We can start thinking about that, which is what we do every day. But um, but that's why I love doing this show, because your mind gets open to these different different things. And as I'm about to be a mom soon, that's how I want what I want my baby to be surrounded around is is those kinds of conversations. Not gossip, not bullshit, not anger, not, you know, all the other stuff. Like, let's have conversations that are meaningful and important. And we should carry these into our friendships. You know, you're out for drinks with people. Why does it have to be about things that don't matter, really? Why not have these larger conversations and initiating them? I was at a dinner party recently, and we could have had a dinner party, and everyone could have had their own individual conversations. And one person said, why don't we go around the table and say one thing we're grateful for? And it sparked the most unique answers. I mean, one woman was like, I had crazy sex last night. <laughs> and then another person was like, you know, um, I had a real big health challenge and I've just overcome it. And everybody had something different to say. The conversation went deep. And I think we have to be less afraid of having these deep conversations and and opening up to people and being vulnerable. Um, I think that's really, really important. And that's what I'm taking away from today's interview. In the meantime, friends, be nice people, make good choices and be present. This podcast and all related content published or distributed by or on behalf of Maria Menunos or mariamenunos.com is for informational purposes only and may include information that is general in nature and that is not specific to you. Any information or opinions expressed or contained herein are not intended to serve as or replace medical advice, nor to diagnose, prescribe, or treat any disease, condition, illness, or injury, and you should consult the healthcare professional of your choice regarding all matters concerning your health, including before beginning any exercise, weight loss, or healthcare program. If you have or suspect you may have a healthcare emergency, please contact a qualified healthcare professional for treatment. Any information or opinions provided by a guest expert or host featured within website or on company's podcast are their own, not those of Maria Menounos or the company. Accordingly, Maria Menounos and the company cannot be responsible for any results or consequences or actions you may take based on information or opinions.